Good afternoon. Welcome to Bible Quest. I'm Jeff Smelser. I am taking Drew's place today. He normally gets this started each Tuesday afternoon. Um, he, I think he's going to be back next week. Uh, and of course, with me are uh, Jonathan Sadler in Biglerville, Pennsylvania, just outside of Gettysburg. Good afternoon, Jonathan. Jonathan. Hey, Jeff. Good to see you. And Scott Smelser, my brother in the flesh and brother in Christ in uh, Arnsville, Pennsylvania, just outside of Gettysburg. Uh, Scott, what are we going to be talking about today? Scott, you are still muted. There. Am I in now? Yeah. So, so Scott, what are we going to be talking about today? We're going to be talking about the works of the flesh, and if we have time, uh, get to the fruit of the Spirit. So we're going to be in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. And as we go there, let's invite our viewers to be sure and chime in today as we talk about the works of the flesh and perhaps the fruit of the Spirit. Um, you can send us comments by means of the Facebook comment section, or you can use the little uh, Q&A icon in the um, BibleQuest.gb app. Okay, Scott, get started. All right, so in verse 16 of Galatians 5, the Apostle Paul writes, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, the Spirit against the flesh. For these are contrary the one to the other, that you may not do the things that you would. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousies, wraths, factions, divisions, parties, envyings, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of which I forewarn you, even as I did forewarn you, that they that practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he contrasts that with the fruits of the Spirit. Could somebody read the fruits of the Spirit for us, please? Starting in verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, self-control. Against such there is no law. All right, so let's begin with this question. Uh, he's got a contrast in verse 16 and verse 17, and he emphasizes how these are contrasted. And how, how does that contrast help us? Well, he says the flesh and the spirit are opposed to each other. They, they have different uh, goals. They have different um, ways that they accomplish things. And so uh, they work against each other. They're opposed in verse 17. And they keep the, the spirit keeps the flesh from doing what it wants to do. And the flesh keeps the spirit from doing what it wants to do. Okay, so if I'm trapped in a cycle... Um, I keep committing fornication, or I keep uh, get along with people because I'm trying to insist on my own way and, and getting people to follow me or whatever division, whatever my issue might be. And if I think, oh, I know that's wrong, I shouldn't do that, what in this text is part of the solution to get me out of that cycle? Well, you know, you've kind of combined some things there. Some things you, you mentioned are how you feel and then other things are how you do. And right. one, of the, one of the keys here is you, you don't just do how, whatever you feel. 
I, I think it's interesting just translating very literally the end of verse 17 in order that whatever you desire, these things you would not do. But that's, that's kind of the attitude that people, whatever you desire, that's how you feel. In fact, we kind of, we kind of champion how I feel. That's, we exalt that. Well, that's just the way I feel. Well, if you just do whatever you feel, then you're following your flesh. And so we've got to get out of that mindset and instead get in the mindset of what the Spirit has revealed and walk by the Spirit. That's a really good point. Because how does an alley cat behave? How it feels. It does. <laughs> does an alley cat spend much time thinking about morals? Uh, responsibilities? No. no, they don't sit around contemplating. You know, my life seems to be a mess because I just keep doing whatever I want to do. Uh, I'm going to keep doing it. (laughs) (laughs) And and that's, that's kind of the way our society's headed. Yeah. All right. And, and uh, what about this, that um, if you follow the, the spirit, then you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. How how can that play out? Somebody paint a picture of that for us. Well, a, uh, a, a parallel passage to this idea of being led by the Spirit um, is Romans 8. And I think how Romans 8 is worded um, maybe would help. In Romans 8, verse uh, verse 13, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So he says being led by the Spirit is putting to death the deeds of the body or the deeds of the flesh. So yeah. uh, being led by the spirit is, is uh, as we've been talking about in verse 17, like a specific example, let's say if you're caught up in uh, a adulterous relationship to put to death, the deeds of flesh would be to end that adulterous relationship. And that would be being led by the spirit. Yeah. So give us some examples. Say, say, suppose somebody in our audience has, has gotten themselves involved either just through flirtation or through an emotional affair, or maybe there's a physical affair going on with uh, this guy. Maybe there's some woman at work and he's getting himself tangled up with that. And he's, here's what his flesh desires. Here's what he wants. What are some steps that he needs to go through to put to death? Well, in general, they're going to fall under that category of fleeing, um, in, in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 22, Paul writes to Timothy and says, flee youthful lusts or desires. And, and specifically in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18, Paul says, flee fornication. So one of the things I have to get in my head is I've got to get away from it. And getting away from it means getting away from the sources of temptation, avoiding the circumstances, avoiding the people. Um, you know, I, I used to work with some guys uh, every week who were in kind of a halfway house program. They were coming out of a life where they, they'd been in drugs, they'd been in jail, they'd been in all kinds of bad relationships. Now they're trying to get their lives in order and they're living in this environment where it's controlled and, and then hopefully go back out into the world and do better. And one of the things I have to tell them is don't go back to the neighborhood where you used to live, where right. you were surrounded by all those people and all those temptations doing all those things. You're going to go right back to it if you go back to them. Yeah. Uh, tie that in with make no provision for the flesh in Romans chapter 12. How's a, what's, what's the difference between making provision for the flesh and make no provision for the flesh? What's that yeah. 
Yeah. I think it's I think it's kind of as you've said before, it's the difference between a pet and a pest <laughs> is making provision. Um if you if you want a pet, you set out food for it and so it can it has the provisions to survive and you keep it around. Or a pest, if you don't want a pest to be there, you don't set out food for it. You don't offer it water, you don't offer it treats um, and you to stay around. Yeah. Yeah. You, you you swat that fly, you swat that mosquito. Uh, so we, we have to flee, uh, as Jeff pointed out. Give me a couple of biblical examples of somebody fleeing fornication and somebody not fleeing. So that uh, if anybody in our audience is going through this, they'll have a couple of examples of how to operate that. Who's somebody maybe the, fled and who's somebody that didn't? In the maybe, the most, maybe the most, uh, I guess, famous uh, example of fleeing fornication or fleeing adultery will be Joseph in Genesis 39, um, when Potiphar's wife is making advances on him, trying to get him to uh, commit adultery with her. And, yeah. and Joseph famously says, how can I, how can I do this great evil and sin against God? And when she tries even harder and actually reaches out and grabs him, he runs, leaves, flees the house. And it's important to notice there, the text says he refused to be with her or to lie with her. It sounds like he avoided her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and when she grabs him, he literally yeah. leaves. Yeah. Uh, there, there's wisdom in that. That's not cowardice. You remember when people make fun of Mike Pence for not going to uh, restaurants alone with a woman? That was so ironic to me because we're in this Me Too movement era where all the great cultural heroes are being indicted for uh, misbehavior, sexual misbehavior. And who do we ridicule? We ridicule the guy who's avoiding that. Yeah. And, And a number of times... Is the person describes the bad behavior, they'll describe, well, I went up to his hotel room. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When when people had more sense and didn't put themselves in situations like that. very beautiful in appearance. Uh, he inquired about her. And then in verse four, he sent messengers and took her. And when she came to him, he lay with her. So he commits adultery with this woman who's married to actually one of his soldiers. We don't know exactly what was going on in David's mind. It could have been David thought, you know what? I'm the king. I have a right. I'm going to sleep with her. And he sent messengers. It could be that David in his mind thought, uh, you know what? Uh, she's pretty. I bet she's lonely. I think I'll have her come over the house and I'll just talk with her. And then stuff happened. It could be David in his mind is thinking, I'll have her come over to the house and who knows it might. I mean, I'm not really committed to, I'm not planning to commit adultery, but I'm just making provision for the flesh. Of course, he wouldn't say it in those words in his mind. But the point is the, the time, the time to flee is at that moment where he saw her and now he's got a decision. Does he act rightly or wrongly? Right. What he did was, at the very minimum, he made provision for the flesh. He had her come over. Yeah. Very good. Um, let's, let's move now from, say, adultery to, uh, let's say you're talking to a young man, and you're warning him, or a young lady, and you're warning them about pressures that they're going to face on social media, uh, internet pornography, um, you know, sexting, this type of thing. Uh, 
and this is somebody who has not got their life tangled up in it yet. Uh, we look here, the works of the flesh include sexual immorality, uncleanness, lasciviousness. These things are wrapped up in, in these type of behaviors. What might you say to a young person who has not gotten involved in, in these things to strengthen them, to help them stay away? In, in a minute, I'll ask about what might you say to a young person who has already got tangled up? Mm -hmm. Okay. Right. Access is always something, you know, avoid, avoid having access. If you need to, if you need to get rid of your smartphone, get rid of your smartphone. I'm not saying everybody has to get rid of their smartphone, but if you find that that's a source of temptation and you're falling prey to that, maybe you need to get rid of your smartphone. One of the things that I find in talking with people is it, it is, If you're busy, if you keep busy, if you've got if you have a job, you have work to do, then you have responsibilities when you get home, you have people you need to see, good things to be doing, uh, that's going to help. But if you just, if you get bored and you sit around and you're doing nothing useful, then you're, that's when you're likely to do something very unuseful. That is a very good point. Uh, there, there's an old proverb, it's not in the Bible, but you know, people say it a lot, there's a lot of truth to it. What do they say is the devil's workshop? Uh, yeah, and, and in this text here, look at it again, verse 17. The flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against flesh. These are contrary one to the other, so that you may not do the things that you would. If being a Christian is not just, oh, here's a bunch of things I need to not do. Don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. Well, guess what? If I've been doing all those things, and that's kind of what my life has been, and then I stop, if I don't replace it with good things, what are all those bad things going to do? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so w w one way of seeing this, if on a day where you haven't prayed, you haven't looked at the scripture, you haven't helped out, you know, somebody elderly and infirm or poor or, or discouraged, you haven't done anything to help anybody out, you've just been kind of lazy and indulgent and not accomplished anything, how easily are you going to fall into temptation? Whether it's anything on this list, how easily might it be to fall into temptation on that day? Very. Yeah. Yeah. If you just got a Bible study set up with somebody, if you just helped somebody that really needed something and you helped them and they let you know how much they appreciated that, how much it meant to them, and you just read a Bible text and it strengthened you and, and you now along comes the temptation so much easier to withstand when you're busy doing good things, cruddy things are not as attractive, are they? Yes. 
Yes. And some things a person might have to get rid of. The fellow who, you know, kisses his wife goodbye in the morning and gets to work where he's been flirting with this woman and, and maybe things are starting to go where they shouldn't. What might he need to give up? Yeah. Oh, but that's my job. Well, you know, your marriage is a lot more important than your job. And if you're not handling your marriage right, if this is causing you to stumble, get away. Get away. And Jeff already mentioned some might, might need to give up their smartphone. If you need to, what did Jesus, the rich young ruler, was putting his money first? So what did Jesus tell him to give up? His money. Yeah. I, uh, Jonathan's, yeah. Jonathan's statement there, what sin promises is not what it delivers. That That is fundamental. You know, in the very beginning when Adam and Eve sinned, she's led to believe uh, that she won't die, but she's also led to believe that she's going to somehow get something uh, that she should want the knowledge of good and evil as if that's a desirable thing. Certainly the knowledge of good is a desirable thing, but Satan makes it sound like God's holding out on you and you're going to have something that's going to make you like God. Well, that's not what it delivered. It separated her from God. Right. Right. And people think they're going to find pleasure. They think they're going to find happiness uh, in sexual sin. And, and that's not where it leads. It leads if you get into pornography, it leads into self-loathing. It leads into discouragement. It leads, it leads into distraction from doing, from being productive. And if you are, if you, if you're married, it leads into the ruin of your marriage. So also adultery does. And uh, you know, why do people do this? People do these things, not because they say, I want to be miserable. People do these things because they say, I want to feel good. This will be exciting. This will be fun. And that's not what it gets them. In fact, that's right. It, it, it's, it, it's, temptation is kind of like the worm on the hook when you're fishing. You know, Satan's fishing. He puts something tasty on the hook. But when, when the bass comes up and goes for that worm, you know, that doesn't mean he gets to enjoy a nice meal and live happily ever after. There's a hook. And, and you know, he might taste that worm for a second, but there's a lot worse things coming up for him. And, and that's the way sin so often works. Um,
Read that. Read that text for us, Jonathan. That's excellent. Read that. Do you remember Romans, is it verse 9? Abhor what is evil, cleave to what is good. Mm -hmm. When we learn to actually abhor the evil things, then they are not as appetizing. You know, if you're the fish and you realize that's not dinner, that's a worm stuck on a sharp hook with a barb leading to, you know, uh, a filleting knife and a frying pan. What are some ways that we can learn to abhor what is evil? Yeah. That's, that's really good. Yeah. And so not just quitting that job, because it's a good going home and building a better relationship with your wife, you know, spending some more time with her, flirting with her, getting more interested in her, being more loyal to her, you know, replacing bad things with good things. Very good. Other thoughts, comments?
And so this is interesting, this, this topic about desires and having different desires. The fact is, uh, God's people are never going to get to the point where they, in this life, uh, don't have desires that they have to refuse. Um, the whole Even point of walking in the spirit is making a choice not to do what my flesh, which is amoral, right. I didn't say immoral, my flesh just doesn't care. It does. If I'm hungry and there's a, there's a steak on your plate, my stomach doesn't care that that's your steak. Uh, so the, the point is I'm always going to have to make a choice to do what God's will says, not just what my flesh says. But what Jonathan is stressing is right. You know, Peter talks about your former desires in First Peter chapter 1 and verse 13. He says, wherefore, girding up the loins of your mind, which is a really interesting picture. Picture people in the first century with flowing robes and they're going to go on a journey. And so they have to gather up their robes under a girdle, under a belt. And um, so they don't get in, so they can move freely and don't get entangled in things along the way. Well, we don't want our minds to get entangled in this world. So we gird up the loins of our mind. He says, be sober and set your hope perfectly on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as children of obedience, not fashioning yourselves according to your former lusts in the time of your ignorance. So when I get out of ignorance and I have this revelation of, of the, of the reward that God has set before us, that, that can change. Now, thing, different things are important to me. And right. that doesn't mean my flesh still isn't going to want something, but those things don't have to be important to me anymore uh, by comparison to the thing that is now important to me. Let, let's illustrate that with, with a couple of texts. Is it true in general that if we learn to abhor evil and cleave to what is good, that we will have a more fulfilling life? First uh, Peter chapter three, quoting from Psalm, uh, I think it's 34. Yeah. He that would love life and see good days. It doesn't say, say whatever you want, do whatever you want. No, it says he that would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and its lips that they speak no guile turn away from evil and do good. But Jeff's right in that that doesn't mean that if we're spiritual enough, it will always be easy to do good because Jesus was more spiritual than we'll ever be. And was there a point where he needed to subject his will to do something that was going to be very, very difficult? And your flesh is not going to want to do his flesh didn't want to go to the cross. Right. And he, he prayed in agony the night before, considering what he was about to endure. He was willing to do it, but it was a choice that he had to make in spite of the knowledge of the agony he'd be going through. Uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians, the ninth chapter, talks about buffeting his body daily. Uh, the point he is making, he's writing to the Corinthians and telling them, you need to be, uh, you need to be making the right choices and he says, I have to make the right choices. And it, it's, it's work. The, the, we had a commenter make a, a point out prayer life. Uh, and that's really important. What about this? Um, now, I'm not trying to say that you can't say these words or those words in a prayer. But as far as effectiveness, if somebody has gotten themselves entangled in a sin, and right now we're talking about sexual sins, if their confession and prayer life to God consists of this, Father, forgive me for I sinned. 
how how effective is that going to be and what would be more effective well that doesn't that doesn't necessarily reflect a real conviction in regard to some specific thing that I've done wrong. Um, I'm not saying that somebody can't sincerely say, father, forgive me for I have sinned. Um, But you know, if I realize what I've done wrong and I'm convicted about it by the word of God, I realize the harm that I've done to others or to myself. um, You know, if, if I, if I've wronged you, Scott, and we both know what I've done, and I say, Scott, forgive me, I've sinned, and we both know what I'm talking about, that, that's one thing. But very likely, if I've done something really hurtful to you, I want you to know that I know what I did to you, and, yeah. and I'm going to communicate that. And um, so I, I think that how we pray to God is, is a reflection of how well we understand our need. Yeah. Yeah, Jonathan. Right. <laughs> it's kind of the poor on the way out. And, and the more you do healthier things, the more you enjoy healthier things. Um, I want to make one more comment along this line and, and see what uh, uh, y'all have to add to that. And then let's move on to some of the works of the flesh, like jealousy, strife, enmity. Um, but coming back to when people have gotten themselves tangled up in pornography, one of the things that I've often heard uh, when somebody's having trouble with that, they say, it would happen when I would be feeling sorry for myself, when I would be feeling lonely and sorry for myself. And, but then afterwards, like we've talked about the worm and the hook afterwards, then do they feel wonderful about themselves? No, no. 
And so um, what are some lessons that we can learn from that in, involved in this idea of abhorring what's evil, cleaving up what is good, following the flesh, not the spirit? What are some helpful lessons in that? Well, substitutes for what is truly going to make us feel good don't work. Um, yeah. I'm not sure how to bring that point home, but that's kind of the problem. Somebody's feeling bad and lonely or whatever. Maybe they're craving human connection and love and, and that warmth of association. You, you, there's not a lot of good relationships. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, very good. All right, uh, so let's move down the list now and let's jump down to uh, strife, jealousy, enmities, wraths. Uh, suppose somebody has a problem in particular with one of those and you pick which one you'd like to talk about. They just have a problem with jealousy. They for a long time had a problem with jealousy or controlling their temper or just can't get along with people. How can what Paul is teaching here, what do they need to learn and how can they make some application to getting past those types of sins? You know, I don't know. You guys can tell me whether you think this is right or not. I think there's something to it. Uh, the, the first part is true. The word translated jealousy in the Bible is the same word translated zeal, which is right. Um, and a brother uh, once made this observation, talking about jealousy and covetousness. He talked about jealousy in, is an attitude toward what you have, and covetousness can be an attitude toward what others have. And, and I think there may be something to that. We think of jealousy as, I wish I were like him. I wish I had what he had. But jealousy can very often be just an inordinate pleasure and pride in what is mine. And, um, you know, we talk about our God as a jealous God, and that's jealousy in a good sense, jealousy on the part of a good being for people whom he has defined as his and saved them from sin, and he is protective of them. And that's a good thing. Uh, but we can be very, we can be very possessive. We can be very uh, inordinately protective in a self-centered way about what we have, and, and that can be jealousy. All right. And when the Old Testament says God is a jealous God, is it not in the context of his people who should be loyal to him, instead we're being loyal to what? Sure. They're, they're being loyal to themselves and loyal to idols. And we talk about a jealous husband. God is pictured as a husband Right. Uh, and a jealous husband is protective of his wife. Now, he can become inordinately jealous in the sense that he's constantly suspicious of her, right. uh, unwarrantedly suspicious of her. He becomes accusing, accusing, and God is not like that toward his people. Um, but I'm just trying to, to flesh out this meaning of this word jealousy a little bit, and maybe help people think about it a little differently than sometimes we think about it. <clears throat> Yeah, I may, I may tend to tell myself that I'm not a jealous person because I never go around wanting what somebody else has. But if I'm unwilling to share what I have, I may be a jealous person. <clears throat> I have hmm. too much zeal for my stuff. 
Scott, you're not convinced. I, I, yeah, I'm not. I'm not convinced. I've I've tended to see jealousy, and perhaps I've seen it wrong. But uh, let, let me throw out this idea, and it, this is a little bit different. But then maybe we'll swing back around to this. <clears throat> I, one of the things I find interesting about the works of the flesh is that almost everything in here is a perversion of something good. And this relates to the fact that God is creator. Satan is not creator. So God creates and Satan perverts. Mm -hmm. So for example, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, all have to do with man's sexual desire. Who created man with sexual desire? Yeah. Who created women to be women and men to be men and the difference? And what was God's intention? For this cause a man shall... Yeah, good thing or bad thing. Yeah, very good thing. And meant to be in, in Proverbs 5, be intoxicated in her love. This is God's idea. Now, man perverts that into taking it outside of the marriage covenant. Uh, man perverts it by taking it outside of male-female relationship. Man perverts it by after becoming one with his spouse, going after somebody else. Man perverts it in all sorts of ways. So jealousy, as you mentioned, Jeff, in Greek, it's the same word as zeal. Uh, there is a place for zeal. There is a place for jealousy. God is a jealous God. It's when we put that in inappropriate places, it's a problem. So let's, let's take a look at like wrath or anger. Uh, is there such a thing as righteous anger? Sure. Yeah. There, God made us with the ability to be angry. Give a couple of times when Jesus was angry. Yeah. Yeah. And in Mark 2, when the man with the withered hand is there, Jesus has the opportunity to heal him. And he looks around and sees all the Pharisees watching to see if he does it so they can accuse him. The text says he looked around with anger. So we should, there's a time and a place to be angry. Ephesians 2 says, be angry, but don't sin. Um, so uh, one more here, or well, two more. Idolatry is a perversion of what? Yeah, uh, and this is not in the list, but just to illustrate it, revenge is a perversion of what? Desire for justice. Yeah. yeah. So for a lot of these things, there's a right place for them, but Satan would have us go take these things where they don't belong put them in places where they don't belong, misuse them, abuse them, and usually for selfish intent. Uh, and jealousy to me is one of the most foolish of all sins because in the way I've looked at the word, you're jealous of what somebody else has. And then envy uh, is there, there are um, two words here. One's jealousy, one's envy. And I've heard of a distinction. I've not heard the distinction you made, Jeff. And uh, I, I might need to look at these words more well, closely. Let me, let, me, let me elaborate just a little bit here. Maybe sure. the application may be useful. You know, Acts chapter 7 and verse 9 says the patriarchs, the, the sons of Jacob, moved with right. jealousy against Joseph. Right. Joseph was the favorite son. So 
and that that's a context where it certainly seems like there is a uh, an antagonistic an antagonism toward Joseph on account of the the place right. that he has in his father's eyes that they didn't have. Right. Uh, so so we can't say that there's not that. But you look at all these words. The word zealot uh, was used of, right. of of somebody who was well. Let's let's take people who are ultra patriotic. They're all proud of being an American. Right. Here's an here's an application. There, there's nothing wrong with looking at the good things that are characteristic of your society, of your nation, the things that your nation has done right, and for which cause your nation may have been blessed, and yep. and being pleased with that. Right. But I can become a zealot. I can become jealous in the sense of, hey, we're Americans. I'm an American. America can do no wrong. Uh, you know, and I'm. And, and I just think we're better than everybody else. And, and that's that kind of patriotic zealot, zealotry, jealousy, uh, that would come, that would be included in what's condemned in the Bible. And that leads to the ugly American abroad. You know, there's a lot of people in other countries that that's how they view America. And they're not talking about how we look physically. Well, maybe sometimes, but that just, you know, that we can tend to be an arrogant, selfish people. And really, selfishness is behind so many of these. So whether we're thinking of envy or jealousy, but any that thing that resents that somebody has something we don't have, whether we classify that under envy or jealousy, both are in the list here. One of the weird things about that sin is that there's not even a payoff up front. Robbing a bank, you at least get to run away with the money. They may catch you the next day, but, you know, you got to spend a couple of hundred before they caught you, you know, doing drugs. You do get that buzz, you know, uh, getting drunk. You do get that buzz, you know, before the next morning you're having your head over the toilet. With jealousy, where where was the part that made you think it was worth it? or envy, envy, depending on how we're defining jealousy, with envy here. Where's the part, you know, I'm starting off with, he got something I don't have. (laughs) I don't have it and I'm going to feel bad about it. Yes, 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 yes. And so much of it, does it not stem all of these things from just so much selfishness? So let's contrast that with the fruits of the Spirit. What's the first thing in the fruits of the Spirit? Yeah. If we're learned loving, loving other people and what's good for other people, then what's that going to do to envy? Yeah. And if I'm more thankful and, and love, if I, the, the more I'm characterized with love, joy, peace, long suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, self-control, the more I'm doing those things in my life, the more all these things in the first list become what? Less important. Yeah. Well, in fact, some of them never were important. You know, that's one of the things about the works of the flesh. What he lists here are often not things that in and of themselves people want, but they're the results that met, that appear in, in one's life when one does whatever one wants. Yes, yes, yes. 
All right, very good. I, we're about out of time. Uh, final comments, guys. Uh, we're out of time. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot, everybody. And thanks for those that commented in. We really appreciate that.